You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Locked On Indians podcast. I'm sure you can tell by the sound that uh, I am back in the friendly confines of my home studio. And by home studio, it is the uh, extra room in my apartment. But either way, it's nice to be back. This is a lot easier um, and a lot quicker for me just because uh, once I do the phone thing, I then have to upload, convert uh, more often than not. When I mean deposit at the midway point so I can kind of put a note for an ad break, I end up stopping it, which then means I have to combine files later. So it's 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 as nice for me to be back as it is, I'm sure, for those who listen. Uh, today's show, I want to talk about two things that kind of hit me up on Twitter. Uh and then we're going to talk some all-time Indians. So there's just not a whole lot going on unless we want to talk about spring training stuff. And uh, you know my point of view. So let's talk about some things I saw. One, um, I love Dan Zimborski, uh, who writes at Fangraphs. I think he's fantastic. He's a really nice guy. Uh, great interactions on Twitter. But he kind of had a piece along the lines of what I warned was coming, which was, you know, if the Brewers kept their star, why can't the Indians? And I saw in a response to he's like, well, the Indians haven't made a full effort. And I'm like, well, I don't, you know, maybe my sources are wrong. Maybe the people I talked with are wrong. But the Indians made overtures at several times, you know, just like when they approached Jose Ramirez and signed him to a contract recently. I'm trying to think who else. But pretty much from the start, Lindor had a clear plan in place that he was going to hit free agency. And I don't think there was anything that was going to get in his way to that. Uh, His agent and him both decided hit free agency, hit the open market, and go from there. Like, that has been in place, I think, almost since day one for him. And that's his right. I'm not going to hold that against him. But I will say this. Like, the at the end of the day, when it comes to the Yelich versus Lindor talk, Lindor makes more this year than uh, Yelich would make the next three years. He is younger, and he would hit free agency before he hits his 30s. And if the Indians could give that Yelich deal... Um, to Lindor, which is you know basically ten years, twenty-one million a year, uh, they would do it tomorrow. So if if Lindor was willing to take what Yelich got, the deal would be signed, still and delivered right now. I am a hundred percent convinced of that. But he's not, and it's not going to happen. And I honestly think they could offer him something like ten years, three hundred twenty million, and he would take free agency. Uh, I just think that's where he is. That is the the mindset, and that has been the goal. But he is certainly not taking the 10 years, uh, $210 million that got Yelich signed because those are such different circumstances. The other thing is the Indians' prospect hype. And everyone is getting so excited. And the Indians have a good system. I don't think it's you know the best of the last 10 years because, as I've talked about on this show, I mean, the vast majority of their top prospects are low, low minors guys. The number of exciting low minors guys... When I talk about Adam Abreu and Dorsis Polino and Alexander Perez, um, Kevin De La Cruz, if you're familiar with these guys, you're a deep fan. If you're not, these are all guys who are held close to a similar level as a lot of these prospects um, at the same point in time when they were in the minors. And that's just what I want to caution. Like the Indians, this is not Tampa's minors right now. This is not the San Diego minors when they were. It's not even San Diego's minors now. Um, it is a really solid unit, back of the top 10, but it has such high risk. Uh, so that's just the other thing I want to 
I, I see all this hype about it, and it's like Jose Tenia and Brian Rocoyo and Tyler Freeman and Aaron Brachio, and I want to be like, none of these guys have really filled in. It's like I like Tyler Freeman uh, significantly, but like when I sat down to like watch video and write up reports on him, I soured a little. I mean, I still had him top three, but I was like, he doesn't do anything other than hit, and that's dangerous to me um, when it's a one one area of excellence type of player. You need a walk rate. You need doubles. You need speed. You need stellar defense. And he's the cleanest profile of all of them. The rest, you're like, okay, significant. Uh, and they're super young, so of course they need significant body changes. But especially when you're looking at those sub-six-foot guys, uh, the other problem is sometimes those guys grow, and you're like, why is that a problem? Because when you go from five nine to six feet, those three inches of growth can mess with uh, your swing. And maybe not so much your swing, but your eye to the zone. What you're used to being a strike is now not a strike. Um, or I should say what you're used to being a ball is now a strike. And things like that. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm not saying this to put uh, rain on everyone's parade. But it's just the plain and simple truth that if you're getting hyped about, you know, Keith Law was super high on Jose uh, Tenia. And other people were talking about him today because Law's List came out. And I was just like... A, most of these people didn't know who he was before the beginning of the week. And B, you're not going to see this kid anywhere near the majors for like four years. Like, honestly, he is four years from from us even discussing him making the roster. Um, maybe if you're lucky, three and a half. But, uh, yeah, so you're looking at someone, and, that, and that's the other issue. It's like these guys aren't for now. They're not for next year. Um, if you're lucky from that crop of guys, you have George Valera that – maybe two and a half years out but nobody who we're looking at when we look at the exciting lower minors are people who are going to be here before 2023 so by that time a lot of this core is gone uh it's like who would be left from the current core i think jose ramirez would still be under contract and i think shane bieber uh would still be under contract and every other guy who and i think we'd still maybe have fran mill but i think and mercado okay so there's some pieces but uh, just about everyone else would be gone. That's it's it's a situation you're looking so far out that it's kind of ridiculous in my opinion. But you know, be excited, follow them. The lower minors. I mean, I've talked I talked about it with the podcast with my dad where it's like Bartolo. As at the time, you know, they didn't have first names. So all we knew was this Cologne guy who was doing really well in uh, a ball, and you know that's where I started my love. So get excited, follow them. Um, just don't put all your eggs in the basket. Uh, I guess it's like I said, I've just been burned so many times that even when I'm overriding a 24 7 sports, I wouldn't even rank Jose Tenia. Like, by my rules, I can't rank him because I did not scout him extensively before the draft and he has not played in A ball or higher. So, I, he's unrankable. Same reason why I did a Mets list at the beginning of the year, I couldn't rank uh, Ronnie Mauricio. I'm just, I'm not going to get burned. Jason Dominguez with the Yankees, I wouldn't rank him right now. That's, that's just my general view. So. Those are the two things I kind of saw on the Twitter talkage of the day. Uh, on the second half of the show, we're going to do all-time Indians, so stay tuned. It'll be uh, We're into the really fun ones, the real deep, deep positions for the Cleveland Indians. So in deciding which position to do today of the final three, you have to end with second base because uh, we have a second baseman who the team was named after and is the all-time uh, BUR uh, position player in Indians history, so you have to end with second base. Center field has had probably the most overall talent, so we're going to make that there. So that leads us into third base. And this is not to discount third base and say this is an untalented group. It is anything but. Uh, we can also talk about some guys who were 
played there to start their careers or to end it, like uh, Peralta and Tomi, who would... Uh, Tomi, of course, we already talked about at first base, but Peralta's maybe one of the more underappreciated Indians of his lifetime. There's also someone like Brooke Jacoby, who was the only bright light for a lot of us fans in the 80s. Uh, there was the traded third basemans. Uh, I feel like the Buddy Bell trade really helps represent exactly what the Indians were doing wrong in the 70s, where you have this uh, young player who's approaching free agency. He's 26, and you go ahead and you flip him to the Rangers for a guy. Let's see, they traded in 79. Toby, um, you're gonna, everyone's going to get mad at me when I butcher Toby. I can never say his name. Herrera. 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 Uh, so in 79, he's 30. So they, they got four years older at the position. Um, I mean, he was still a good player, don't get me wrong. And, he, you know, it's a trade an Ohio kid for an Ohio kid, right? Wasn't Buddy Bell also an Ohio kid? Or am I just thinking about his kid, Dave? No, he was a Pittsburgh guy. But no, no, he was from the Indians draft him out of Archbishop Moeller. So he was an Ohio kid by that point. So Buddy for uh, Herrera, both those guys are probably in your top 10 talk for the Indians at the position. Um not world beaters, but really solid performers. What are the other guys? Okay, so Craig Nettles, someone else you have to talk about. What a career. <laughs> the Indians had him at 25, 26, 27. And he was, you know, that, that 26 year in particular, he was quite good. Has some excellent defensive years uh, in terms of valuations with the Indians at that time. And then was traded with Jerry Moses for John Ellis, Jerry Kennedy, Charlie Spikes, and Rusty Torres, which is a lot of nothing. Um, another very 70s Indians deal. For as much as we might get mad at the current front offices, man, the 70s, they were just atrocious when it came to trades. They managed to somehow lose all of them. At least now they're winning more than they lose, even if we have some issues here and there. That is an area that is a definite improvement for the team. And this is another one where I think the top five is, is pretty locked in. I don't think there's a lot of room for debate. I do want to take a few seconds to pour one out for Casey Blake, one of the uh, the great finds for the Indians, a guy who was a scrap heap uh, minor league free agent who is top 50 all-time for Indians in terms of war, according to baseball reference, and also another them Carlos Santana in a trade. So uh, brought back even more value as Santana is currently 19th all-time in Team War. So what uh, that worked out really well if you are the Indians front office and the way that all came together. But now that I've given Casey Blake his time, let's talk about the top five. And it's, I think, out of five, maybe this will be sacrilegious, I would put Ken Keltner. I think I just butchered that. Keltner, uh, third baseman who was... Uh, from New Berlin, not far from where I am in Wisconsin. Quite a few of my uh, teachers I work with are currently there. He missed his age 28 year due to military service. Basically outside of that year from 40 to 46, he was an all-star, always playing good offensively and defensively. Had uh, some injuries in 49, which allowed uh, one of the guys who we'll talk about in a bit to replace him and, and outshine him. Uh, on this list, but uh, very solid, steady third baseman for many of those great, great Indian squads. Eventually, he would move on to Boston after that injury-plagued 49 season, barely played with Boston in 50, and that was kind of it for him. He said just a complete player. Uh, If we're looking at his comps by Melvin Mora, Joe Randa, Harland Clift, who I don't know, Marlon Bird, Ben Zobrist are his five 
biggest comps uh, you can kind of go through by year. His young years, his biggest comp was Ryan Zimmerman, Greg Jeffries, Brooks Robinson at age 27. That's, I mean, in and of itself, that, that speaks volumes. He is both offensively and defensively in Indians history, one of the top 15 players, or I'm sorry, top 20, 19th in defense and in total, I'm sorry, 19th in offense. Boy, I'm having a day. Uh, he is 12th overall, and his defense is a little bit lower on the list. I was wrong on that, but still, solid defensive uh, player for the Cleveland Indians for a time. He is fifth on the list. Like I said, one of those very seven-time All-Star, excellent, excellent players, uh, career OPS of 112, the definition of very good. But I think every other player who I'm going to talk about today is had some points of great, and that is kind of what separates the rest of this group out. Now, it's, it's hard for me to really figure out this next four and where I want to put them, uh, just in terms of the peaks and in terms of like era and things like that. But if we're looking at war, there are two guys that kind of stand heads and tails above the rest of the group. There's one guy who just had one of the greatest seasons, period, in Indians history. And then there are there is a current player, which I'm sure you can guess at this point. That isn't hard. But at this point in time, I'm going to put Jose Ramirez fourth. Um, no, I'm not. I'm going to put Alvarez in fourth um, and Ramirez third. And the reason I'm going to do that is because Ramirez is currently just... Um, 27 years of age. There's a chance for him to get up there. Now, Al Rosen, if you're choosing one season, he's your choice for the Cleveland Indians. His one seasonal value, his 1953 year, he is the one who replaced Ken Kelter, uh, Kelt, Keltner at third. And I mean, pretty much from 50 to 55, he was the one of the premier players in the American League. Um, but that his 37 home runs at age 26 in 1950, uh, that was an American League record until Mark McGuire broke it. He led the league in home runs that year. His next two years were solid, but not quite up to that 37. And then 53 at age 29, you know, again this is 1953 where he hit uh, 43 home runs, 145 RBIs, hit 336, 422 on base, 613 slugging, 1.034 OPS, OPS plus of 180. He won the MVP for a very good reason. Uh, within three years, he'd pretty much be winding down his career, though. Um, he would have one more high-level season after that, and he would make the All-Star team in 55, but he'd start to decline 56. And then he'd go on to uh, run baseball teams, become an excellent executive. Like I said, if you're taking one season, he's your guy. Uh, you you always wonder about a guy like him because he served in the military, um, which meant that he signed up at, at 18, and he was over there until, um, I believe, 47. He was 23, spent some years kind of in the minors. So he didn't really fully debut until his age 26 season. So he missed time, and he missed some of those early years where he could have put up some numbers. And one of those guys who you're like, wow, if he could add three more years in there, does he, you know, he, you know, does he get closer to that Hall of Fame uh, discussion? 
the, the the standout with him is you know the 37 home runs and the 43, and then the next highest is 28. Really, really good. The peaks were amazing, but a short career. Um, one could argue he might have been even better as an executive. Uh, he was the president and CEO of the Yankees, and then the Astros, and then the Giants. And in the 80s, you know, he was the executive who got them to the World Series. So, again, just uh, kind of did it all. You know, just as going from player to uh, to general manager and did both quite well. I wish, uh, I wish we could have seen more of him. You know, he retired at age 32 because of back and leg injuries, uh, things that would not slow down current players. He had that late debut due to World War II, and we just, such a small amount. Um, Bill James, I'm looking at it, called his 53 season the greatest ever by a third baseman um, and the 48th best by a position player. So, yeah, it says a lot. I mean, that was an amazing year. Uh, On the last day of the season, he lost the batting title by one percentage point. One percentage point away from the Triple Crown that year. Uh, Also, I mean, when you're Jewish, is there really a better baseball nickname than the Hebrew Hammer? I mean, I I don't think there is. Uh, Come at me if you have a better one. But Rosen's peak is as good as anyone the Indians have had. Jose Ramirez is currently third because he is just 27, and one could argue he has had the second-best offensive season of any Indians third baseman in history, and he did it at age 20, uh, 25. We had 39 home runs, 38 doubles, 34 stolen bases, and hit 270. We'll have to see what he can do over the next few years, but the early results have been stellar. Uh, 25.3 war puts him in line with... Um, Rosen, I believe, was in the low 30s, so he could conceivably, with a strong season, pass him this year. He does, you know, how about this? When you're looking at his uh, similar batters through age 26, Gary Sheffield and Scott Rowland. I mean, that's that's some pretty high company. I don't know Richie Hebner, and that's a name that came up as well in the Al Rosen one. Um, this is kind of a, he played in my lifetime, so maybe I should know him better interesting guy just to pull up Richie Hebner I'm sure there's people yelling it's an odd comp for both of those guys never was an all-star looks like he was a consistently good performer um hmm. I'll have to do some more digging on him later but uh yeah uh, with Ramirez he's already had two of the top 10 seasons by an Indians third baseman and there's going to be more to come uh, for him, if you're looking just in terms of offensive war, you know Al Rosen has the offensively tied for the third best season uh, by an Indians player, and then you're going down to look for your next uh, guy on the list. It's actually uh, Jose Ramirez. So you know number two in terms of a season. I was laughing because I noticed that third would be Toby Herrera, which I know I butchered, and you guys can can come at me at later. Jose Ramirez comes in again a little bit further down, but it's uh, which confirms two of the top five seasons. So he is three. He could end up the GOAT at third base for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, will be hard to beat the Rosen season, though, let's be honest. So then third base comes down to what is going to be kind of anticlimactic for people, I feel like, and that is a pair of guys who played <laughs> a long, long time ago. You got... Bill Bradley, who was a third baseman for the Indians from 1901 
through 1910. And then you have Terry Turner, who also played with the Indians. They overlap from 1904 through 1918. Um, during that time, uh, Terry Turner kind of moved all over the diamond. He's mostly known as a third baseman. His early years in Cleveland, he was a shortstop, some second base, uh, eventually settled in and had his peak years at third, though, for the Indians. Turner has the better overall numbers uh, in terms of he is second all-time in defensive war among Cleveland Indians behind Lou Boudreau, Lofton at three, Viscal four, Frank Duffy five. So when you're looking at that, then if you're just looking at pure war with the Indians, Turner is ninth, Bradley is 10th. Uh, Al Rosen is 13th, if you are curious about our... Ken Keltner is 12th. So actually, Keltner has the third best amongst any of the Indians' uh, third baseman. And uh, Jose Ramirez is currently sitting at 24th. But again, I think he's going to rise. He's there, but I think that number is going up. Uh, And Rosen's peak was just too much for me to look past. But again, that's why I said this is a pretty easy group of five to start with. So with Turner barely beating Bradley, Turner, uh, if you're curious, like I said, Turner is second all-time. And, and Boudreaux and Turner are just lights out compared to the rest of the group. Uh, Boudreaux at 22.7, Turner at a 20, Kenny Lofton 13.1. If you go down to 7th, there is Bill Bradley at 10.8. Uh, offensively, Bradley is sitting there at 17th to Turner's 22nd. And then when you just kind of want to look at the single season stuff, I think this is Turner has the single greatest defensive war uh, at 5.4 for one season. He is first. He is fifth. I thought he had another one in the top ten, but I could be wrong there. It looks like I am. And so first and fifth. Bradley doesn't quite pop up in there offensively. You know, these weren't... Their offensive peaks, even relative to era, don't match up with a, a Ramirez or a Rosen. But, uh, you know, they were great, great players in their era. Uh, Bradley was a Cleveland kid. He is, was born in Cleveland. He died in Cleveland. He was buried in Cleveland. He started out with the Cubs before moving over to Cleveland in the 1901 season. When he retired, he had eventually become a, a scout for the team. Uh, we know Tito would love him. The only time he led the league in the stats was he led the league in sacrifice hits in 1907 and 1908 with 46-60. and 60. Um best season was his only double-digit home run year. That was in 1902, where he hit 340 with 11 home runs, 12 triples, 39 doubles. Uh, a, you know, again, this is a guy you look at, he, from age 23 to 32, he was with the Cleveland Indians, uh, was an everyday player from his age 23 through age 30 season, and for the majority of those was a well- you know, OPS plus at peak 149, 153, 134. The other seasons well over 100. Uh, basically, age 29, he was started to show some decline. But uh, just in terms of value, he was uh, you know a really strong player for those early Indians. And then Terry Turner, the uh, he was from Pennsylvania. Like I said, he played multiple positions. Uh, played with Bradley. And his nickname was Cotton Top. I mean, that's a nickname we need to bring back. Uh, might be most known because 
it hurt his ankles to slide, so he was one of the first people to use the head-first slide, which is actually a terrible way to slide. So the next time a player gets hurt with a head-first slide, we can blame Terry Turner, greatest Indians third baseman of all time. When he finished his career, he was the Indians' all-time stolen base leader at 254 and held that until uh, he was eventually passed by Lofton and Viscal, so held that for a very long time. Line drive and speed guy uh, for his career. You know, it's interesting because he's his age 27, 28 years. He was a part-time player, kind of struggled in there. But you go before that, um, you know, he had some strong years at the top. And then was kind of one of those stick-around guys. Uh, start, debuted at age 23, finished at age 37. Uh, you know, I was just kind of using war for all of this, and I was looking at his great defensive years, but he was never even really a league average bat, so I'm, I think I have to change my whole opinion. Uh, wow, this is what I get for not doing all my research ahead of time. So, new rankings. Everybody ready? Terry Turner, five, because this is the danger when you look at war. Sometimes it's about... Uh, you know, I saw the height of the defensive values, and I gave him so much credit for his defense, uh, but didn't realize he was kind of a substandard hitter during those times. Uh, and war is a compiling number. So, redoing it now at the end. Turner, five. Four, Ken Keltner. Uh, three, Al Rosen. Two, Jose Ramirez. One, Bill Bradley. Uh, you could make a case for any of those top three guys in any order you want, really. I think eventually it will be Jose Ramirez. I don't think that's going to be a competition. I don't know if he will ever beat Rosen for the single greatest season at third base, but uh, I think he will, before he leaves Cleveland, be the greatest third baseman we've seen. Uh, Turner was great, but he also had a 15 years in Cleveland to really help compile some numbers there. Uh, so he does make the top five all time, but... Uh, you know, we can see already why you can't just base everything off of war. Uh, I was looking at the numbers, and I just figured anyone who was that high career for the Cleveland Indians had to have done some stuff. I mean, again, ninth best all-time, second best defensively. And how much value do you give the defense, I guess, is your final question in the end. But, uh, yeah, Terry Turner, fifth. Bill Bradley won uh, for Ken Keltner. Ramirez and Rosen there in the middle. I want to thank you all for listening to a long one. These all-time Indians ones tend to go long. If we have no news for tomorrow, we will do center field, the most talented position in Indians history. So many names to talk about. Second's going to be close second, no pun intended, for talent. And there's going to be a few names that I'm going to, I'm looking forward to. I relish the chance to talk about when it comes to Indians second baseman that I have loved during my lifetime. No Jesse Barfield, sorry. I want to thank everyone for listening, rating and reviewing. I love all of you. You are keeping this show going. Thank you again, and as always, go Tribe.